And now, it's time for the Mike and Matt Football Show Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Mike and Matt Football Show. My name is Mike Bachman, as always, joined by my co-caster, Mr. Matt Petrie. What's going on, Matt, on this Tuesday? How you doing? I'm doing good. I took my dog for his first grooming. Nice to have the pups on nice and handsome. I might have to take after his lead and groom myself, get myself nice and dapper. But until then, ready to get rough and rugged with some more football. Love that. Yeah, love that. Uh, also had was able to see my dog, one of my dogs this weekend. Haven't seen him in a couple months. Little little Hulkster. Not so little anymore. But uh, enough of that. Enough of our dogs. That's not what the people want to hear. Unless you do. If you want to, let us know in the comments. The chat is open, ladies and gentlemen. So definitely feel free to uh, contribute to the conversation via the chat as we discuss uh, some week nine topics here for the NFL. And if you do want to test your knowledge, you can, of course, request the hot seat to join both Matt and I on the show, get you some airtime for what you want to discuss throughout the NFL. But Matt, got to be honest, like we've been talking about how awesome the NFL product has been up to this point. This was really the first weekend where I was a little like underwhelmed. I know there were a ton of upsets, a ton of upsets this weekend that we are going to talk about. But as far as the actual football that was played this weekend, really definitely seemed to have been that first real kind of dip in the action. And not to say that it's going to jump back up, because I'm sure it is as we continue to go through this second half of the season. But this really seemed like the first week where a number of teams really lost their rhythm, and a couple of other teams are continuing their strides to try and make a push for the playoffs. So I do want to start with what I thought was potentially the biggest upset of the weekend in terms of pure domination and that was the Denver Broncos and the Dallas Cowboys I really took uh, a particular liking to this game and just with what the Broncos did because Denver was in the news last week obviously trading away their defensive star Von Miller and going into full rebuild mode with this youth group right and the Broncos at Mile High Stadium we all know how tough of a stadium that is to play out there in Denver They protected their house and they shut out. Well, they shut down. They shut out for about four quarters, the Dallas Cowboys, but shut them down completely. This was the first time this season that the Dallas Cowboys were outgained by their opponent, none other than the Denver Broncos, and most notably shutting down Dak Prescott. Yes, Dak was nursing that calf injury the first game returning from that calf injury was he, you know, overly protect himself, not being too uh, risky with the football potentially. But, you know, what the Broncos were able to do, you know, really jumps out. They held Dak to just 48 percent a completion percentage, which is the second worst total of his career. And, you know, from the start, Dallas came into this game with an aggressive, aggressive approach. Those first two drives, two fourth down conversions, ultimately failing and setting up the narrative for the rest of this game. That was Denver's offense exposing this Dallas defense that has been built from the ground up week after week this season. 
this was the Broncos' first 30-point outing, so they scored the most points uh, of the season this year and had 18 plays, 18 plays of 10-plus of yards. So they were moving the ball downfield with efficiency. Javante Williams had his first 100-yard rushing game as a rookie. So a lot of strides for this Denver team that is in the thick of an AFC West battle, sitting at five and four right there with the Chiefs, right there with the Raiders and the Chargers. This is a this is a division that is up for grabs. Nobody knows what's going to happen, especially with the fall from grace of some of those AFC West teams. Uh, but Matt, what do you think was the biggest reason why Denver was able to shut down Dallas as good as they did? It really just, I mean, it was a balanced effort. I mean, first and foremost, their run game has been a really unexpected boon, I feel like, with Javante Williams coming out right as a rookie, as a bell cow, but also Melvin Gordon being able to kind of turn back the clock and show a bit of that Chargers-Wisconsin form. And it's helped allow Teddy Bridgewater and this defense to really just, if they can get out to that hot start, they're not going to let go of the game because they can just ground it and pace it so well. And I do think you're also right that, you know, Dak looked a little rusty. He wasn't putting that drive, that accuracy, that zip that we'd seen all year from him. He looked a little tentative. They were able to shut out guys like C.D. Lamb, who looked like he needed an APB out for him. It was just a clean effort. It seemed like they were rallying around the fact that, like you said, they got rid of that locker room leader. It was an all-around domination and Denver, Denver is definitely the Jekyll and Hyde of this season, it feels like. Definitely feels like. And just to uh, echo your comments about Dak and most notably, uh, you know, the Broncos able to shut down receivers like CeeDee Lamb did not help the fantasy outing for myself uh, as Dak Prescott missed a couple of downfield shots to CeeDee Lamb that definitely would have helped the bank in terms of fantasy production. Uh, but that's besides the point. But nonetheless, you know, hopefully – we expect that this is just a one-off game for Dak. Hopefully he is 100% next week uh, and the Cowboys are able to return to that form that we are so used to seeing and that this defense can get back on track because they're going to be uh, going after teams that are much more talented than the Denver Broncos. Obviously not to diminish anything that Denver has done because like you said, a very Jekyll and Hyde squad led by Teddy Bridgewater and they have made strides in a division that's up for grabs right now, but a truly dominating performance at home to uh, silence all of those Dallas Cowboy fans that I'm sure are just running ragging and, and roaring down there in Dallas. But still, you expect the Dallas Cowboys to rise above, and hopefully Dak Prescott will be the catalyst of that, and they can get back on track. And just checking out the chat here from J.A. Rogers. Sorry to hear Zeke hurt your fantasy team as well. And, yeah, Atlanta's offense – taking on Dallas's defense next week. So we'll have to see what that matchup looks like for Atlanta and Dallas. To move on to another matchup here, Petrie, uh, one of the best teams in the AFC, the Buffalo Bills, throwing up a, an absolute egg against the Jacksonville Jaguars. This one, head-scratching. Don't know what the hell was going on there, but the Jaguars getting the W against Buffalo with a score of 9-6. to six. And this Buffalo team, the, the number one offense – in the NFL, just getting shut down, only able to muster six points, no touchdowns against this Jacksonville Jaguars team. And the Jags were already in a hole, playing without uh, running back James Robinson, who has really developed into a great option out of the backfield for Jacksonville. And it was a battle of the Josh Allens. 
you know, we and everybody was looking at Josh Allen on the Buffalo Bills side as the beneficiary of this matchup. But in reality, it was Josh Allen on the defensive side that got Josh Allen on the Buffalo Bills side. This is going to be just so tough to describe, but bear with me here. Uh, He got Josh Allen's number one sack, one interception and also a fumble recovery for Josh Allen. This is a defensive player who had 10 and a half sacks his rookie year and has since then been quiet, trying to find his identity, trying to be that leader on the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. This was a breakout game for number 41 and obviously what the Jaguars needed to try and revive, try and find some positives out of this year. But I do want to look at uh, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, because he has been under duress all season and it didn't help missing a couple of offensive linemen in this game. But Josh Allen is being pressured this year on about 27% of his dropbacks, making him the second highest pressured quarterback in the league. And yes, I know that he can do work out of the pocket with his legs. His ability to perform under pressure is, is pretty high. Did not necessarily speak volumes in this game against Jacksonville, but still we expect Josh Allen to extend those planes that plays and find open receivers uh, downfield. But coming out of the bye, I'm concerned for Buffalo here, Petrie, because going up against uh, Miami, a team that they shut out earlier this season, and now up against Jacksonville, not able to score a touchdown, not able to get into the end zone. You know, coming out of the bye, it seems that the Buffalo Bills are treading water a little bit here. Do you think that Sean McDermott should be concerned for his team? Do you think that it's just one of those games that you just got to try and throw under the rug and just move on. What is, is there an overarching problem here that the bills are facing uh, most particularly on their offense? Cause their defense still able to hold Jacksonville to nine points, still able to get the job done defensively, but this offense seems to be taking a little bit of a dip downwards here. It definitely does. The receiving core doesn't quite seem to be as explosive as it was going to be on paper. Josh Allen for as great as he is continue to show he can be has not shown that consistent th- uh, consistency throughout a full season. It does just feel like one of those classic cases of a team that was really hot coming out of their bye week and just grinding a little bit to a halt, especially against, like we've said all season, one of the most disappointing teams. We've questioned Urban Meyer's ability to be an NFL coach even at times this year. We questioned if they're going to break Trevor Lawrence, and yet – Somehow they were able to completely dominate their one of the best offenses in the league, at least statistically. It is very concerning for a team that does not have this division locked up to be picking now to show holes. That's a key point right there, Matt. This division is not locked up by any means. And Rogers in the chat, once again, the Patriots trending up where we're going to talk about the Patriots a little bit later on in the show as regarded to a couple of potential playmakers that the Patriots might be looking to add. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. We won't get ahead of ourselves, but yeah, the Patriots are right there. Just one game back of the division and they're firing on all cylinders. They have found their rhythm. Uh, So Buffalo is going to have to try and find their identity offensively once again uh, to try and pull away in this division race that, you know, at the beginning of the year, everybody gave to Buffalo, but we'll just have to see if, Uh, The Patriots can continue this upward trend and if Buffalo can kind of reverse the script and get back to their winning form. Finally, one game I do want to talk about here with you, Petrie, is Sunday Night Football. 
the Los Angeles Rams, Tennessee Titans, the Titans getting the job done in Los Angeles, site of the Super Bowl this year, 28 to 16. And this Titans team, like Denver, but for, for worse reasons in the news last week, uh, with Derrick Henry going down for the season. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this Titans defense, whether they can uh, hold their own with a lot of these other teams in the AFC. And they proved that they can because their defense became way too much for Matt Stafford to handle. Uh, Stafford throwing back-to-back interceptions in the second quarter, also a Kevin Byard pick six that was included with that. And got to shout out Jeffrey Simmons on the defensive line for Tennessee, who has kind of been a fringe player since coming out of the draft, uh, really hasn't been able to break out. But like Josh Allen for Jacksonville, this has been a breakout game for Jeffrey Simmons. Three sacks, four quarterback hits, forcing Matt Stafford under pressure to make mistakes. And that's exactly what Tennessee needed to do, because like I mentioned, Derrick Henry out. The identity of this offense virtually gone. You know, is Ryan Tannehill going to be able to take that responsibility and put this team on his back? Because this team was run through Derrick Henry. They're one-dimensional. That's how they win. And despite Tennessee getting the win here and getting the upset, you know, this offense was still only able to gain 195 yards of total offense. So if the season ended right now, the Titans would be the number one seed in the AFC and in their favor, they do have the easiest remaining schedule in the league amongst all 32 NFL teams. So they've been on a roll since losing to the Jets five weeks ago. And one more thing I will point out, 6-0 and against playoff teams from last year. So it ain't no fluke. What do you think the ceiling is for Tennessee? Can Ryan Tannehill lead this team to the top of the AFC? It is going to... You haven't mentioned him, but it's going to depend on one really strange factor that coming into the year would not have thought would be a factor, and that's can Adrian Peterson still go? Because absolutely, they're going to have to lean on their passing game now, but they can't just invert their identity. They need someone who can handle the ball at least 20 times a game and give you at least three and a half yards per carry. If that can be AP, then absolutely. I think this defense has snuck up stayed fresh, and now they are hitting their stride instead of feeling that fatigue at the perfect time. Tannehill has the weapons to succeed as long as Peterson can keep defenses honest to an extent. I, I think there is a good chance that the Titans finish the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, Adrian Peterson just needs to do enough for this running game to be formidable to take that pressure off of Ryan Tannehill, but Tennessee, like I said, easiest remaining schedule. It should be a breeze trying to get through the end of this season. And, you know, that definitely helps them because Derrick Henry, what a loss, not just for Tennessee, but for us as fans chasing history, you know, you never want to see that. And a season ending injury uh, is obviously not what you want to see for, for anybody, especially with a caliber player like Derrick Henry. So those are just a couple that were, I mean, Arizona, Colt McCoy out of nowhere, dude. What, what the hell? I mean, blowing past a, a San Francisco 49ers defense, albeit beleaguered with injuries, but still division division rival. Those games are never easy. Crazy, crazy stuff. And it just goes to show the, you know, the head coaching mindset and uh, genius of Cliff Kingsbury and what he's able to do offensively for this team. So a lot, a lot of interesting games, a lot of interesting outcomes. We'll see how these teams rebound. 
that were on the losing end and if uh, teams on the winning end can continue this momentum. But now before we transition to our bold predictions for the second half of the NFL season, because we're going to be laying out some bold predictions for you, being that it is now that semi-halfway point. We did our midseason awards last week. That podcast is up on Spotify if any of you missed that live show. And we'll be doing our bold predictions now. But Matt, want to introduce a new segment. We've known each other for a long time, going to college together. Had a lot of really awesome, fun, great times. And one thing that I could always remember that you would just break out at any point are, are your would-you-rathers, <laughs> ranging from crazy, crazy to really, really interesting conversation that lasts about three hours late at night. So, Matt, we are going to start the new would-you-rather segment from Mr. Matt Petrie. What do you got for us and the chat and myself for the first edition of Would You Rather and for the NFL? Hit me. So, so for my first one, we're getting a little nostalgic, not too nostalgic, not going that far back, but we're going to look at two careers, cut a little too short, two transcendent talents that were just wrong situation, wrong time. So would you rather take Andrew Luck and convince him after that one-year hiatus to come back to the Colts, look at that O-line they were building, look at everything they were finally constructing that he missed out on, and get to see Andrew Luck play out that career with this Colts team that has finally figured out just about everything except the quarterback. Maybe Carson Wentz has it. He's been a little underrated this year, but that's neither here nor there. So would you rather have Andrew Luck finishes his career out with the Colts, plays a full career, not cutting it short, or Megatron himself, Calvin Johnson, is able to get bought out from the Lions, doesn't retire, and instead is shipped off to a contender to live out his glory years and maybe even pursue that ring? So what would you rather, Andrew Luck, the cult legend, or Calvin Johnson riding off into the sunset as he deserved? Oh, yeah. Calvin Johnson, first bout Hall of Famer, one of the best receivers in the game. Premature retirement at age, uh, what was he, age age 30 retired? And Andrew Luck in the same breath. Early retirement, hurt by injuries. Would definitely love to get uh, some insight from the chat as to who you would rather see uh, end their career, whether it be Andrew Luck or Megatron Calvin Johnson. It's tough, Petrie. I mean, my gut... I'll first address Calvin Johnson. If Calvin Johnson went to your New England Patriots and teamed up with Tom Brady at the time, I mean, who knows what the ceiling for Calvin Johnson would be like? Because even throughout his career in his retirement, he was a proven wide receiver in, in what he could do. Stats speak for himself. And, and, and Calvin Johnson was that just perfect archetype of receiver that you want, that you create in Madden. And so as awesome as it was for his career and as fun of a player as he was to watch part of me wants to say Andrew Luck because I feel like the complexion of the NFL the complexion of this AFC would be completely different if Andrew Luck was still in an Indianapolis Colt you know what that post Peyton Manning era would really look like if Andrew Luck stayed healthy premature retirement comeback player of the year still putting up close to 5,000 yards. I mean, you take a look at if, if he was still healthy right now in his prime against Patrick Mahomes, you know, against guys like Justin Herbert now, a lot of these rising young stars. I think the complexion of this AFC would be completely different. And so many players on this Indianapolis Colts team to reap the benefits of Andrew Luck's talent. Guys like Jonathan Taylor, Guys like T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, what their careers would look like 
if Andrew Luck were orchestrating that offense. I mean, Andrew Luck, just such a likable guy, incredible talent. You know, when Trevor Lawrence came onto the scene, who was his comparison? Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was that good coming out of college and was that good in the NFL. I would love to see just how good he could become. So I would probably definitively have to say I would rather see Andrew Luck's career unfold rather than Calvin Johnson. Because the other thing, too, Calvin Johnson, like I said, proven. We know what he can do. We know the kind of production he's able to get. But again, could be night and day from a guy like Matthew Stafford in Detroit, who, yes, Matthew Stafford, great quarterback, but in Detroit, what are you really getting as opposed to a Tom Brady or one of those other powerhouse teams at the time would be very interesting. Seems like the majority of the chat is leaning Andrew Luck. So that's probably my definitive answer is Andrew Luck, but God Megatron with anybody other than Detroit would just be just as exciting, just as exciting and electric. It's definitely a hard one. Megatron, probably my favorite player to watch live, but I, I think for all the reasons you outlined, I, I would go luck as well. He just, it would be cool to see him sh shut up some of the doubters he had, see what his true legacy could have been. But that's, that's the, the beauty of what ifs. That is the beauty of what ifs. Uh, so we'll be doing one of those every single week. A little new segment of transition between topics here. A lot of fun. I'm sure it's going to get crazy because we, if there's one thing, if there's one thing we, that I know, that I know it is the creativity of this guy's brain and what he can just pull out at any, at any chance. So love to hear it. Uh, and that was a good one. Gotta say that was, a, that was a good one. That was, that was serious. Made me think. So I, I, I do, I appreciate that Petrie. I appreciate that. That was a good one to start off. So if the chat appreciate it, hit that like button, hit that like button for Petrie to move on, to move on. Now let's move into some of our bold predictions for the second half of the NFL season. And I want to start with just an overarching topic revolving Odell Beckham Jr. Odell was released by Cleveland unclaimed on waivers today. He is now officially a free agent assigned wherever he chooses. So I have a couple teams that I would like to see Odell play for that I think he would succeed in. Um, and I also have my reservations about Odell. So let me run through real quick my three destinations for him, uh, and then I'll pass it off to you, Petrie. But in no particular order, number one, I have the, the New England Patriots. I have the Patriots here because we know Bill Belichick does not turn a blind eye when it comes to talent, when it comes to a name like Odell uh, potentially on the market and Odell immediately becomes Mac Jones's number one target. When you take a look at that depth chart at receiver, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, you know, serviceable options, but a name like Odell Beckham Jr. jumps out at you. And the Patriots, as we talked about briefly in discussing the bills, they're right there in that division race, just one game back behind Buffalo. So I think that New England gives Odell the best chance to have production immediately, but to also get his act together from an attitude perspective. We know Odell. We know how vocal he is. We know that he knows his worth as the focal point of the offense. He wants to be that number one option. New England gives him the best chance to fill that. Second destination I give to Green Bay, simply because it gives Odell the best chance to win now. 
you know, Green Bay probably going to win that division once Aaron Rodgers, I mean, even when Aaron Rodgers comes back, supposed to come back this weekend against Seattle. I mean, unless Minnesota wins out or something crazy like that happens, I mean, Green Bay is going to win this division. So Odell is going to be in the playoffs, but a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers to line up as alongside Devontae Adams to kind of shove MVS, Randall Cobb, and others to the back end of the back burner a little bit. And, you know, Odell still provides that deep threat option that we know Aaron Rodgers loves. And Aaron Rodgers can't spend the remainder of 2021, you know, relying solely on Devontae Adams. You know, I, I know Randall Cobb kind of comes in, kind of comes into the picture here and there, but Devontae Adams realistically seems to be the only receiver that he trusts. Odell would give him that other guy alongside to potentially be that certain number two receiver. Finally, at number three, I give to New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints. Now with Michael Thomas out, this depth chart at wide receiver is not looking too deep for New Orleans. And, you know, their quarterback, who's going to actually be that future quarterback starting, Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill, uh, remains to be seen. Odell, a New Orleans native, can kind of rewrite this chapter in his career uh, to revive his career back home, going to LSU, New Orleans native. Uh, that could be a fun little story. I just don't know how realistic it is with the cap situation with New Orleans. <coughs> we'll probably have to move some guys around to make room for the $8 million or so that it's going to take to take Odell. Uh, but I think that that is another pretty realistic option if they're able to clear that cap. I just have reservations about Odell, man. At 29 years old, how good can he be? You know, injury-plagued career was incredible. Incredible coming out of college. Had an, had an insane couple of years with the Giants, as we well know. But really has not been relevant since like 2016. This is like five years ago. And father time is not catching up to Odell either. So how good is he going to be in a new system with all this in consideration? You know, can he coexist with a Devontae Adams if he is so fixated on being the number one guy? You know, there's still going to be locker room issues and attitude problems with a player like Odell Beckham Jr. We should not be writing him off at all because Odell is still Odell. But at the end of the day, there are just so many limitations, in my opinion, that come with the type of player that Odell is for him, I think, to really kind of be that showstopper once again. So I'll, I'll toss it to you, Matt, as to who you think has a good chance at landing Odell and whether you think he can become a, a showstopper once again. We'll just leave it at that. So, so hand it to you, Matt. Go for it. Uh, I do think that the Packers, uh, right off the bat, the chat seems to agree as well. The Packers just feel like the team that makes the most sense. The Patriots are right up there for me. I just think where it's a young quarterback and that kind of cautionary tale it feels like between Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield and just young QBs trying to keep Baker, uh, sorry, keep Odell away from them. I, I think that the Packers fit better. I think the Patriots can go get a more reliable number one receiver. I think there are some sneaky teams that could get him. We talked about the Saints in the NFC South. I think the Falcons could be a sneaky team to go and grab him. I think with Calvin Ridley <laughs> out for the foreseeable future and with the Falcons now on that playoff bubble, I think they could maybe see if they could get a uh, 
a nice one year, almost Tyron Matthew with the Texans type deal where they just say, Hey, we're on a playoff push. We don't have our number one receiver. Do you want to come have Matt Ryan throw you the ball like Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones? Because those guys certainly got the targets of number one receiver. I do have to agree with the chat real quick. Uh, J.I. Rogers, I think the Colts are – with T.Y. out, Michael Pittman and Odell Beckham Jr. certainly sound like a great combo. I do think Matt Ryan is better at force-feeding a number one receiver than Carson Wentz is, and maybe even just because Aaron Rodgers already has Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers would be. I think if Odell wants to go out there and really reestablish his value, I think the Falcons are a great one-year rental destination that both parties could benefit from. Yo, that is a diamond in the rough, man. I didn't even think about. Forgot about Calvin Ridley. And yeah, Atlanta, I guess, technically is right there in, in a sort of playoff race in the NFC still. They're not technically out. Kyle Pitts is emerging. Some other young players. Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson. As a utility player, dude. I mean, unbelievable. So Matty, Matt Ryan, as you said, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley reaping those benefits. Wow. That's one I don't even think about. I think if I think about the Ravens as well to potentially go to a contender to potentially go to a team that will play the Browns twice a year. I'm sure Odell would love that, you know, and we think potentially about maybe a couple NFC uh, NFC East teams, maybe Dallas, maybe the football team. Who knows? There's so many options. And for a player like Odell to be on the market, teams are going to go after him, you know, whether they want to take take on that burden with all of the potential off field stuff. That's their decision, but Odell still could potentially become a showstopper, I guess. And you got to think that a bunch of teams are going to be are going to be calling calling his number and uh, trying to get him on that roster. So we'll see where the Odell sweepstakes uh, takes him. A lot of different, a lot of different teams, uh, a lot of different stories, and some very, very interesting ones. But the Falcons, wow, Falcons would be interesting, really, really interesting. So. Let's hit to our like actual bold predictions for for the week. Now we'll just kind of go one by one. Uh, Matt, why don't you start? What would, what is one of your first bold predictions for the second half of the year? Well, I'll tie it right into what we were talking about. And that's that the Falcons are going to make the playoffs. I think that the Saints have left a void with their quarterback situation. I think the Falcons have been showing that they can really hang around with whoever they play with. Their offense is. It's unique, but it's been dynamic enough to hang around. Their schedule, if they can just pull one of their iffy games out, whether that's a win versus the Patriots, a win versus the Cowboys, even a win versus the Bills, who have shown that they can really be hit or miss. Even the Buccaneers, these interdivision games you can't write off. So those games that are potentially tight for them, I think they could pull at least two of those out. And then they have teams like the Jaguars, the Lions – the dead-in-the-water Saints, unless they get an Odell. The Niners, who really don't feel special anymore. They Their schedule to end the year is something they could absolutely pull together, go. I think that 6-3 and three for them to end the year is not unreasonable. 10-7, and seven, sneak in as a wild card. A little 10-win ten ten action for the Falcons. I'm going to pivot and go for a team that's going to miss the playoffs. Might not be as bold, uh, but I predict the Kansas City Chiefs will finish with a losing record and miss out on the playoffs this year. Uh, the Chiefs have the toughest remaining schedule in the NFL. I mean, just every matchup 
is is really tough, not to mention five of their last eight games are against division rivals, already lost to the Chargers once this year. And the chemistry on offense is just, it's really lacking, man. I mean, even against the Jordan Love-led Green Bay Packers, only able to put up 13. Uh, their defense was able to kind of turn the tide and, and hold it down. But again, it was Jordan Love's first start as an NFL quarterback. So uh, you're not probably not going to be getting much there anyway. But Patrick Mahomes, this offensive line, they're forcing him to make mistakes. Mahomes, yes, still has his Mahomes plays, but this Chiefs team is so vulnerable. And I predict the Chiefs will finish at eight and nine. I think that it's too far gone right now with everything in consideration. And unless they're able to strike some magic down the road and are able to, you know, compete with these teams and win some of these games late, I just think it's going to be, it's going to be tough sledding because they're tied with the Broncos at the bottom of their division. Any one of those teams can win, but for Kansas city teams have figured them out. They have taken Patrick Mahomes out of the, out of the equation and it's been tough sledding. So uh, I think the chiefs that'll they'll, they'll miss out on the playoffs and they will finish at eight and nine. I just don't think that it's there. And I think that we have just seen too much of that narrative be written this year. So Times are tough in Kansas City right now. They really are. I think that's – I, I almost I, – that – I really don't know if the Chiefs can miracle their way out of this. I think this is the first time they're going to have to look in the mirror and say, did we $500 million man ourselves into a corner? It's tough. It, it, it really is tough. And they're running – I mean, their running game's not really – not really doing themselves any favors. They're not jumping off the page at you. You know, people, people are long are, uh, you know, advocating for the chiefs to, to go after Odell really don't think that they should, that they should be taking that on. I mean, people forget the chiefs are right in the middle of the Josh Gordon experiment. Has Josh Gordon even played? Has he even played yet? They kind of forget. you kind of forget about Josh Gordon with, with Kansas city. So these receivers, I mean, they looked like garbage against Green Bay, dropping passes. It wasn't necessarily Mahomes' is, is wrongdoing, but more so uh, just the lack of production from these receivers. And, again, they're going to just have to go back to the drawing board and find something because it has not been working out for them, and, and, and it's been showing. Uh, my next bold prediction that I'll lay out has to do with your boy, Petrie, Mr. Tom Brady. Uh, but I think Brady's going to throw for over 5,500 yards by this by season's end. I think he's going to shatter Pey Peyton Manning's record and be the sole proprietor of that record this year. He's on pace for 5,600 yards and showing no signs of slowing down. You, you talk about father time catching up to Odell. Father time is shrinking with Tom Brady and what he's doing down in Tampa Bay. And we take a look at their opponents. Five of their last eight opponents are ranked in the bottom half of, half of the league in pass defense. So that uh, bodes even more so in the favor of Tom Brady and just 10 years ago, threw for 5,000 yards. 10 years later at 44 years old, can he do the exact same thing but shatter that? I mean, it is truly remarkable what Brady is doing down there, how good he is at age 44, and how good he could become. He's, he's, I mean, the dude's having this, having this statistically the best season of his career. It's not supposed to happen this way. It's just not supposed to happen this way. So I don't know what is in Tom Brady's breakfast in the morning. I don't know what formula he has perfected to 
perform at such a high level so late in his career, but I'm all for it. I had to watch him just beat up on my Steelers in the playoffs year after year. But man, what he is doing down in Tampa Bay is just, it is one of the greatest things in all of sports to ever happen. And I think he shatters Peyton Manning's record. I think he throws for 5,500 yards. Does he get to 50 touchdowns too? At this rate, he's on pace for it. He's got that extra game, but I think he throws for over 5,500 yards this year. That ties into one of my predictions, which is he will be easily the oldest player to win MVP when he wins it this year. So I'm glad our predictions tie in well there. I, I mean, you said it. He's just, he's playing some of the best football of his life. He, his arm is still there. His, he's got an O-line, a run game, and some weapons to boot. He is, it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, I know some Patriots fans who don't love it as much as I do. I, I'm just forever grateful for what I got to witness from Tom Brady, the, the greatness in general, but also being open as, as a fan of the Patriots. It's just been, I, I can't imagine a more spoiled time to be a fan of New England football than in the Tom Brady era. I'm incredibly happy for him. And I, I think right now it's his MVP to lose. He, despite how much he's airing it out, he's turning the ball over at one of his best, as in so little comparatively to how he's done in the years past, especially in his last few years with New England. It's been glorious to watch. Uh, so I think both our bold predictions are going to come true. I, I really do. What Brady is doing is absolutely remarkable. And I, you know, I have no, I really have no words for it. It's, it's stuff like that's not supposed to happen, but it's happening right before our eyes and people need to take notice of, of it and just how good Tom Brady could potentially go and how deep into his forties he might actually go. It might actually happen. So looking more real than, than, than fake at this point. Uh, I want to move to the defensive side of the ball now, because we've got a bunch of players that are having incredible years this year. Uh, but one of my bold predictions for defensive players is I predict, I think that there will be not one, but two D backs that finish with double digit interceptions by the end of the year this year. And Trayvon Diggs might not be one of them. He might not be one of them. He was exposed against Denver. I love Trayvon Diggs as good as he is. I mean, seven interceptions. He's got the easiest path to it right now. But I take a look at guys like J.C. Jackson, who had nine last year, who has been incredible for the Patriots this year as well. I take a look at Kevin Byard, two interceptions his last two games. He's been in the zone. He picked sixth Matt Stafford. There are a couple of names that I think could potentially get there. We got eight, nine games left. It's going to be tough sledding. It's going to be very, very difficult. But you take a look at some of these guys and just the production that they're getting on defense they're disrupting quarterbacks. And it's been really, really, really fun to watch. You know, Trayvon Diggs has run stellar. I mean, nothing else you could say about it. Three more picks to get to 10, uh, you know, and J.C. Jackson, Kevin Byard, still with a great, great, great enough chance to get the job done. So <coughs> I think that there are just too many good cornerbacks, defensive backs out there right now. And I think that we'll have two of them reach double digits. Xavier Howard did it last year, but I think that we'll have two this year, Matt. I, I can't help but agree with you. I, I definitely could see J.C. Jackson pulling it off. Absolute snub. He didn't make a Pro Bowl last year, but that's not to hear nor there. Uh, I 
Yeah, I, I just I, I do think Diggs will be one of them. I, I will preface that. But I, I could I can see there even being three. I think all the guys you mentioned, Byer, Jackson, Diggs, they're ball hawks. They're hitting their especially Jackson Byard seem to be hitting their stride. Diggs does seem to be losing the plot a little bit, but I think he'll round out into form and finish right around 10. He might not even be the leader by the end of the year, but I think he can sneak three more in to finish the schedule. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really, really interesting stuff. Now let's move on. I got a bold prediction, but this is going to be a bigger conversation. I think we'll, we'll end with this topic here, Petrie, because uh, I know that you have a lot to say on the matter, uh, especially in accordance with last night's game. You lit up Twitter, man. I, 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 I was following along and, and we were even talking during the game last night as to what the hell was going on. But I'll just throw in a quick little bold prediction just because of the consistencies that we have seen uh, with officiating this year. But I think that we'll have at least 50 taunting penalties by the end of the year. We're at 27 right now. I think we get to 50. And it's no question what is going on right now with officiating. But I want to take this at a particular angle because, yes, this is the new norm. This is the emphasis on the game. This is what it is. There is no looking at it any other way. This is what it is. But I almost I, I almost don't want to blame the referees because this is an emphasis that was placed by the NFL. This is a problem that the NFL created. You know, the referees are just there enforcing what the NFL wants them to enforce. The NFL created this problem. Now, yes, referees make awful calls week in and week out that we talk about. But these taunting penalties is a product of the NFL, is a product of NFL owners. John Mara from the New York Giants was vocal about it. A couple other guys as well. Nobody wants to see our players against other players taunting and going off the sidelines. Come on, man. What is even the precedent? What is even what what constitutes constitutes itself as taunting? my opinion, there's really no logical answer for this. Per the NFL rulebook, it's, quote, the use of baiting or taunting acts or words that engender ill will between teams. Matt, I want to look at this as it relates to the Steelers game last night against the Chicago Bears. I will preface my Steelers, big Steelers fan. I still think that it's bullshit. But Cassius Marsh versus Pittsburgh approaches the sideline. Cassius Marshall, by the way, was a stealer last year, has a game-changing play on defense, would give Chicago the ball back to potentially have the game-sealing drive. Approaches. Does not necessarily engage, just simply approaches the Steelers' sideline, shaking his head. Returns to the field. Looked like got bumped by Tony Corrente, and then he whips the flag out. Like, there you go, brother. Get the absolute hell out of here. This is the problem that the NFL has created. Whether it's the touchdown celebrations, whether it's taunting, there is no precedent for what taunting is. And to say that this act by Cassius Marsh is taunting, I'm sorry, but I think that's just complete and utter, utter bullshit. And... Again, 
as much as I want to be pissed off at the referees, I can only be pissed off at the NFL because this is the absolute wrong point of emphasis for the game. They are ripping away the emotion. They are rip. I'm sorry. They are ripping away the competitive nature of this game. But if there's one thing that we have learned over these past few weeks, the NFL will do anything to protect their owners and to limit the voices of the players and the fans. So I don't know what to think of this anymore. I think it's getting out of control. I think it's ruining the game. I think that we're having dumb conversations about parts of the game that don't even need to be talked about. But Matt, I'll give, I'll throw it to you here, dude. Watching that game last night, you were not happy, dude. So go ahead. What, what do you make of this madness that the NFL has created? I actually feel sick to my stomach just thinking about all of it. It's just so much. I mean, you bring it up. It's like the owners, the owners are the root of this evil. Guys like John Mara deciding that, you know, got to be all everyone shaking hands. You're all just playing the most violent sport that North America has to offer. Just everyone be calm about it. You know how you get people more angry and violent? Repress them. Don't let them express themselves. That's how you get big blow-up fights at the ends of games. You know how you get people to just play the game of football? Don't make them constantly think they're walking on eggshells while also trying to hit each other at, as fast as they humanly can. That's one. Two, like you said, Cassius Marsh, a former Steeler, makes what should have been a game-ending play. And instead, the biggest play Tony Correnti, it is the game. Exactly. That's the game. And instead, he steps towards that sideline from every angle that we're shown, does not appear to actively engage with anyone, just be a human being. Tony Correnti, from every angle we see, decides to stick his butt out purposefully to engage contact with a player and then whip out the flag. That alone deserves a league-like press release and suspension and removal of duty from Tony Carrenti for at least a few weeks. Cause that, that was embarrassing. That was Bush league and that was public. You can't hide that. You can't, I mean, even the announcers on Monday night football were all over that at a certain point, even they couldn't brush that under the rug. How ridiculous we saw not to get off taunting, but we saw three straight hits on Justin Fields. That would, that the Aaron Donald roughing the passer call that ended that Rams Titans game. Those refs, sir, didn't get involved with the uh, Bears-Steelers game because on three straight plays, after the refs took away a touchdown from Jimmy Graham on a phantom low block by James Daniels, three straight missed roughing the passers. So that was already egregious. And then to come in with that final nail in the coffin, the phantom taunting that we've seen all year. First it's Darren Waller. Now it's Cassius Marsh. It is absolutely sucking the emotion out of the game. And it just makes you feel dirty watching it. Cause it's like, did I just watch something scripted? I, I'm a wrestling fan. If I want to see a predetermined outcome where the referees get way too involved, I'll go watch wrestling. That's not why I watch my NFL or my NBA. Well, yeah. And I'll just, I'll just pivot off of your point right there, you know, and I'll pivot off of the point in the chat here from, from Lily shoot, bringing the MLB into the equation. You know, the NFL is doing every, the exact opposite of every other league right now. It seems like the NBA, you know, they let their play, they let their players kind of establish their brand and kind of live that personality that they have. MLB kind of does the same thing. I just don't understand 
And I, I know that the NFL, violent game, you want to avoid altercations on the field and you want to avoid potential fights or guys getting, getting into it with each other, you know, but certain things like this just make us scratch our heads as fans. And again, we're not the ones making the decisions. We're not the ones that get to enforce these things. We're just the ones that overreact to them. But at some point, I just wish that there was a precedent like, I wish that they actually were able to outline, okay, this is what an act of, ta- this is what constitutes an act of taunting. This, these are the parameters that it falls under. And if they want to do that, then fine. But it is just, it is overly frustrating. Like you said, it's sucking the emotion out of the game. And honestly, these are just, I want to be talking about other stuff. I want to be talking about on-field action. I don't want to be sitting here just, spewing nonsense about guys taunting like seriously seriously there something needs to change but again it's just it's getting out of control it's getting out of control so we'll see we'll have to see if the trend if this trend keeps up but i mean petrie all signs are pointing that it's just it's it's getting worse dude it's getting worse it's only going to stop if it affects ratings. And sadly, as much as we complain, I mean, I, I'll speak for both of us because I, I, we're not going to stop watching football as much as we're going to oh. complain. We're going to voice our opinions. But until people really start cutting the cord or the players union can get its own head out of its ass and stop contracting itself into a corner so that they have some actual leverage against the owners and can do something. Of all, I mean, of all leagues, it really does feel like, I mean, because the MLB is another archaic league, but Lily Shu makes a great point. They, they can at least express themselves. And I know people make the point, it's like, oh, it's not as violent. You don't have to worry about fights breaking up as much. But I'll go back to my point of, I don't think in a game like football, t- completely eliminating the show of emotion is going to erase conflict. It's just going to get people repressed They're going to just boil up, boil up, and boil up, especially in division rivalry games. I feel like you're going to start to see some really heated moments in second-time division matchups from some people who have some repressed feelings that they couldn't get out in a healthy way. Because absolutely, there are some forms of taunting that should be called. Like, if you're doing the Allen Iverson step over on someone, yeah, you know what? And and the ref can hear you talking trash, fine. That's probably going to be a taunting. But if you just look at a sideline because you made a great play, how the hell are you going to get called for taunting? And even on the, the more I've talked about, it, even the Allen Iverson step over should be subjective if the game is already so chippy that you feel that could then instigate a brawl. The whole kind of point of taunting being subjective is that you gauge the temperament of the game and then use taunting to break down bad situations. I don't know. It didn't really feel like the Steelers and Bears were ready to punch each other last night. But that's just the vibe I got. I mean, TJ Watt has showed this season he'll punch just about anyone to get that football. Oh yeah, that that is for sure. Uh, and again, hopefully that this hopefully this is a trend that sort of eases itself, especially as we get closer uh, to the playoffs and the postseason. But micromanaging these players on every single thing that they do just in my opinion, is just the wrong way to do it. This is a, this is a game. 
This is a sport. This is a competition. This is what these guys live for. And they're going to express themselves and potentially try and get into the heads of others. That is also part of the game. It's a mental game. And many guys in the past used that to for their own benefit, and it worked. It's a tactic. It's a strategy. Just got to be real about these things, people. But uh, hopefully it's something that hits on the downturn. But again, just history is showing us that this is the direction that the NFL is going. But uh, we'll have to just wait and see if it, if it ever gets to that boiling point. It's, it's, it hasn't, hasn't peeled over just yet, but it's certainly getting there, Matt. It certainly is getting there. But uh, hopefully, that we, hopefully we can avoid these things in the future. So, boom. I think that's going to do it for us here for Episode 9. Great conversation in the chat. Thank you guys for sticking around and for sharing your knowledge on the matter. We had a lot of fun, and uh, it's been great. So before you guys go, before we go, uh, a couple of logistics. Guys, if you are following us or not following us on Twitter, definitely head over to our Twitter page and go follow us on Twitter. That is where you can find all information on us, on the show, and on things throughout the week. Uh, we have a podcast that drops every Wednesday morning. It's the podcast version of this show. Uh, so definitely, if you miss out on the live version here on ColorCast, we have that up on Spotify every Wednesday morning. So podcast version of this show will go live tomorrow morning. We are here every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, breaking down topics in the NFL and, of course, uh, connecting with you guys. So we appreciate the support every single week. We have to shout out ColorCast for giving us this platform, for allowing us to build this brand and in accordance, help ColorCast and all the efforts they are doing. Amazing stuff. We got some OG color casters here in the show right now. So definitely go check them out. See what content they're creating, what games they're calling, shows they're hosting. Uh, definitely go show them some love. It's a community that's growing. Uh, so definitely check those guys and girls out for sure. So we appreciate all the love in the chat. We appreciate all that good stuff. Petrie, what do you say, man? It's been another good one. How do you feel? Feels great. Great to see some new faces in the chat tonight. Love to be just building this community. Like I said, it's really cool to see everyone kind of lifting each other up. It's been a great time. I'm just excited to keep going. Like you said, the fact that we just had our first real quote unquote dud of a weekend just shows how quality this season's been. Dude, that's all. That's all. So great stuff, guys. Have a great rest of your week. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Follow us on social. Keep it to ColorCast every day for awesome content. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Same time, same place. Later, guys.